When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should watch today's show. BlockFi follows up its bankruptcy with a lawsuit against SBF. But what does Robinhood have to do with all of this? We'll explain in just a moment. Plus, we'll discuss what the post-FTX future could look like for crypto. Kristen Smith from the Blockchain Association will be joining us live in just a moment. I'm Nico Bruga. Elaine Lee is with me. How are you doing, Elaine? Oh, you know, Nico, the usual crypto shenanigans. Real Vision bot has declared war. Another week, another bankruptcy. It was actually an RV community member, actually. I think his name was uh, Ben. And he said to me, he tweeted out, can we just get through Thanksgiving without tweeting about another bankruptcy? Well, I think we tweeted that a little bit too early, but I hope you're going to join in on my interview a little bit later on, Nico, because I know the Netherlands have just finished their game. Yes, uh, thankfully we won 2-0, so I'm in a very good mood instead of throwing everything around my apartment in uh, fury. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, thank you for that, Elaine. And uh, Ben, don't worry, uh, just remember to knock on wood next time you tweet out one of those fateful tweets. Uh, before we move on, just a quick friendly reminder that this episode of Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by the Crypto App. The Crypto App delivers everything you need to stay on top of the world of crypto and your own crypto holdings, including a market-leading price tracker, portfolio manager, analytics suite, and newsfeed, as well as a wide array of customizable alerts and widgets to help you keep up. Crypto moves so fast, so don't be left behind. With over 4 million downloads, the Crypto app is the market's leading app for all things crypto. Download the Crypto app today on Google Play or the iOS App Store. Now let's jump right into the latest price action. We're seeing a little bit of recovery in the market today. Indeed, the news about BlockFi's bankruptcy didn't seem to dampen the mood for too long. Bitcoin is trading firmly above $16,000, and it's just, it's just up over 1% on a 24-hour basis. Elaine, how's Ether looking? Uh, let's have a look at Ether. So it's enjoying a nice little bounce today. It's up around 4% on the day, track, uh, trading back above 1,200 again. Ether has actually had a much better week than Bitcoin. In percentage terms, Bitcoin is a little changed on a trailing seven-day basis, but ETH is up nearly 7%. That's despite selling pressure being predicted by the on-chain researcher Look on Chain, as flagged by Coindesk, um, our friends over there. And they say that Look on Chain says a large investor moved, check this out, Nico, this figure, 73,000 ETH from Curve to Binance, that's a stash worth more than $85 million. Now, according to Coindesk, investors typically transfer coins to centralized exchanges when they intend to sell or use the coins as a margin in derivatives trading. Therefore, an uptick in exchange inflows often paves the way for heightened price volatility. 
Thank you for that, Elaine. And yeah, that uh, 73,000 ETH is an insane number. You know I'm a true DJ because I immediately thought about all the NFTs I could buy with that. So uh, Binance, <laughs> if you're looking to start an NFT fund, hit your uh, boy and girl up. Elaine and I are happy to run it for you. Uh, but with that said, let's get into our top story today. Just hours after crypto lender BlockFi filed for bankruptcy Monday, it filed another motion, this time against SBF. Elaine, what's all this about? All right, so we're reading up and we've caught some headlines for the Financial Times that it says BlockFi's lawsuit against Sam Bankman-Fried SBF alleges that the former FTX CEO owes BlockFi shares of the public trading company Robinhood. Now, BlockFi claims SBF pledged the shares as collateral just days before his exchange collapse. The filing doesn't specify how much collateral is being claimed. But just reading up on this article, the collateral at issue is SBF's stake in Robinhood. Now, remember, he bought 7.6% of Robinhood earlier on this year. And this is just another example of a tangled web of companies involved that had links to SBF and how messy that the FTF bankruptcy is and unfortunately continue to be. Yeah, Layden, as we discussed yesterday, BlockFi blamed FTX and Almeida's collapse for tipping it over the bankruptcy edge. Now, let's bring in our guest. Kristen Smith is the executive director of the Blockchain Association. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for All joining right. So I'm going to kick this off. Um, Kristen, we know that there's never a dull moment in crypto. One minute you see a company that is worth billions of dollars and then poof, the next it's gone. So to say that this saga with FTX was devastating for the blockchain industry is truly an understatement. And clearly the aftershock is still being felt. So I think I just want to kick off and start by asking you just how much damage do you think this has done to the blockchain industry? Well, I, I think from the Washington perspective, if you look at the policymakers on Capitol Hill or the regulators, this is a tremendous setback in the trust that policymakers have in the crypto industry. Um, and the Blockchain Association, we've been working for over four years now uh, to help educate policymakers, and it takes a lot of time to do that. And we were starting to make some inroads um, and, and, and still have made inroads that haven't been damaged by this. But the fact that the FTX uh, situation happened in such a dramatic fashion has, has really undermined the trust. And so we're, it's going to be incumbent upon the rest of the industry to step in and pick up the pieces, clean up the mess that FTX and Sam Bateman-Fried have left for us. It's certainly not going to be an impossible task. I think we can do it. Um, I think, you know, three months from now will be a very different situation than we are today. But we're going to have to put a tremendous amount of time into explaining that what happened with FTX isn't a problem of crypto. It was a problem of a couple of bad actors and centralization and lack of proper overseas regulation. The rest of the industry is still solid and strong. And so it's going to be incumbent upon us to make that distinction. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just reading some articles, you know, I pick up quotes with some politicians saying it's not really an issue that I know a whole lot about. And it really does break my heart when, you know, there are other quotes that I'm reading that says, I don't really understand the technology. It just shows like how early we are in this space. But the tech works and it's still there. It's creating jobs for people like you and I. So, yeah. And it's obviously will be an industry that we will be continue to fight for. Um, so. Uh, well, and sorry. I was going to say, Elaine, picking up on that point, though, this is an opportunity for the industry. I mean, if we are looking for silver linings, and I'm 
you know, as optimistic as people come when it comes to crypto policy. But there are people that are asking questions and lawmakers want to understand more. And they also want to understand the difference between centralization and decentralization, what rules already exist versus what rules might be needed. And so if there is an opportunity here, it's that we have a very big audience um, of policymakers right now that are very eager to learn. And so it's going to take a lot of work to meet the you know, inbound requests for information and education, but I think there's a really good infrastructure in place to do that. So if there is one silver lining, it is the opportunity uh, for conversation with policymakers is exponentially increased. Yeah, exponential. Definitely like the word here at Real Vision. And I think, you know, when I hear you say that people are just feeling a little bit more crypto curious, I think that's the, the, the key thing that's most important here. So, Kristen, do you think that the US is actually putting crypto regulation on the back burner? And, you know, what are the repercussions if they keep doing that? And whether this is regarding the CFTC or the SEC, should it be on the back burner? Or should this be a very thing on right in the forefront of what they should be dealing on the day to day basis? Yeah, well, even before the FTX collapse, I think there has been a tremendous amount of interest in regulation in Washington. Um, earlier this year, President Biden issued an executive order and then multiple federal agencies throughout the summer and into the fall. Uh, studied these issues. They, they ultimately came out with a series of reports. Um, and similarly, Capitol Hill has been holding hearings trying to figure out what are the regulatory gaps and what steps are needed to move forward. So it is a conversation that has been ongoing. I think in the short term, um, we actually don't want any immediate actions to take place. Like, I, I think it's really important that, you know, we have this new Congress that was just elected uh, in November. They're not going to be sworn in until January. I think in order for us to get the legislation right, and the legislation that will dictate the regulation, we really want to have time. We want to have an open process, and we want to have more um, opportunities for education, debate, and discussion. Because if they move too quickly, the odds of them getting it correct are very low. So the fact that there are hearings coming up this week around what happened with FTX, the fact that we have you know a new Congress coming in that wants to tackle these issues, these are good things. And as frustrating as it may be that it takes time, like the more time we take, the better off the legislation will be. Now, obviously, if it takes 20 years, that's going to be a problem too. But we don't want it to take 20 days. We really want to like understand what is going on and make sure that the lawmakers uh, and their staffs and the regulators that they're getting technical assistance from on this legislation know what they're talking about before coming in and applying a bunch of regulation that doesn't make sense and won't be effective. Yeah, you bring up a good point there. Obviously, new sort of energy will sort of come into DC and you because I was definitely sitting on the sidelines or just reading this stuff last night and just wondering if DC actually has the bandwidth or the manpower for this, you know, even when big the big four tech companies that come onto the Congress floor and people have difficulty understanding what they are doing. It just breaks my heart to read on the Twitter timeline when people are chanting going DeFi is the answer, DeFi is the answer, but yet it's still such a complicated space sometimes and we just have to be, I guess, patient but moving at the, the same time. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. 
That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, well, listen, I think sort of two different threads there. One is, you know, we don't have to have every single elected official proficient in the ins and outs of crypto. You know, Congress, uh, you know, in the U.S. has set up in a committee system. Uh, there are committees of jurisdiction that have full-time staff who can be dedicated to going very deep on these issues. And so you want to have, you know, a few dozen people that really know what they're talking about. And that that is a manageable number of people to work with. It's, you know, we don't actually need to have all 535 know what they're doing. There, there is sort of a system where they delegate to one another certain issues. And so I do think that the, the, ability is there for the the information to be absorbed and processed and and to be thought through um you know in a meaningful way but i I think that um you know this is something that we're going to want to um you know engage constructively with as an industry and we're going to want to bring ideas to the table but what we do need to to my second point draw the distinction between is what's going on with centralized actors and companies and entities in the crypto space and what are their roles what happens when you're taking custody of somebody else's assets and DeFi. DeFi is very different and DeFi may be the answer for some people in the short term to what happened to ftx but DeFi is also very young and it's going to take a lot of time there are problems there um you know there's issues sometimes with the code you know there, there's there's things that need to be worked out there so yeah. what we need to do is make sure congress doesn't come in and try to apply the same regulations to CFI as DeFi, because that's just not going to work um, the way that it's designed. Yeah, very good point. Well, talking about uh, policymakers and lawmakers, some of them definitely have to step up onto the dance floor, I should say. Nico, <laughs> you want to you tell us what's going on? There's a certain date that we have to be aware of in December, right? Absolutely. So speaking of the FTX hearings in the U.S. Congress, we have got ourselves a date, everybody. Mark your calendars, December 13th. The hearing is titled Investigating the Collapse of FTX Part 1. That, of course, begs the question, how many parts <laughs> are we going to get in total? I wouldn't be surprised if we go more than nine episodes and break the Star Wars record, but we will see. <laughs> Indeed, the block says it's expected to include details of how the collapse affects the broader digital asset industry. There's no witness list at the moment, but top lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have previously said they want to hear from SBF. Christian, what do you think we're going to hear from this hearing? Is this just grandstanding to sort of cover their asses, or do you think we're going to actually get some real regulation out of this? Yeah, no, listen, I think uh, from our conversations uh, that our team in the Blockchain Association has had with policymakers on Capitol Hill right now, is you, know, you have to remember they all knew Sam. Sam uh, was very aggressive working with Washington, I think in a way that was highly counterproductive even before the collapse because he had very different values than the rest of the industry. But neither here nor there, Congress knew him, trusted him, they, they, they sort of liked him, right? He, he kind of put on the full charm offensive in Washington. And so I think some of this is they need to come in and push back against what's going on and try to learn and figure out Remember, that's a good thing, right? We want them to learn from what happened to FTX right now. What we don't want them to do is just move through legislation. So I'm happy to see uh, this hearing be scheduled. It's actually not the only one. There's another one um, actually later this week on December 1st in the Senate Agriculture Committee where the head of the CFTC is going to be the sole witness. Um, you know, this hearing in House Financial Services on December 13th, this is one where I would be very surprised if Sam showed up in person. That being said, I think he does have a couple public appearances 
<laughs> scheduled this week. So maybe he would, if I were him, I would not want to walk on U.S. soil right now. Um, but, you know, I do think they're going to probably try to get perhaps a new CEO, perhaps some other executives in the space. And, you know, there's other committees that may hold hearings as well. Um, the Senate Banking Committee, uh, you know, could potentially hold a hearing or the House Agriculture Committee. Um, for those that are curious as to why the agriculture committees matter, it's because they have jurisdiction over the CFTC, which is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. All of the other financial regulators are under Senate Banking and House Financial Services. So there's really four committees that could potentially be involved here. But yes, I imagine House Financial Services will hold a series of hearings. You do have to remember, though, that the Congress ends on, on at noon on January 3rd. So, um, you know, there's going to be new leadership um, in the new Congress in these committees, and they will start fresh. So it'll be interesting to see if part two of this hearing happens you know, that third week of December prior to the Christmas break, or if Congress just, you know, sort of wraps up their business and goes home for the holidays. But I think this will be good um, for policymakers to understand what went wrong here. And, and it is my hope that they realize that this wasn't a failure of regulation. This was a bad actor who appears to have committed fraud uh, and broke all of the rules that were in existence. And so I think the bigger question is how can we make it more attractive for these companies to headquarter in the US where we can have more visibility into what's going on as opposed to be overseas where there's very little oversight and it allows the ability for, for outright fraud to, to happen. Yeah, um, Kristen, I'm nodding ferociously because all, all the homework that I was doing in prep for this conversation yesterday, right, all the governmental agencies that you've mentioned, agriculture came into it and someone for who is British, I was like, what, how does this come into play? <laughs> but you are absolutely right to mention all that. You got all of it spot on and the dates and the hearings. And it just, well, for me, for someone who... I do look to the US for pioneering as, you know, the world's largest de democratic country to actually set the path for for some guidance on moving forward. But it does sound really long and convoluted at the moment. Um, I sort of want to just, I don't know, take you step back a little bit and just sort of ask you, where are we in the current state of crypto uh, regulation as we approach yeah. the end of 2022? And are there any policy proposals that's near the finishing line? Yeah, no, I, that's a great question, because if you think back in, you know, since the Bitcoin white paper 14 years ago, um, you know, the policymaking process is, is a slow one, right? Um, which is in some ways good, because if they move too fast, they often get things wrong. And so time can be our friend here. Um, what we've seen in the U.S. over time is that at, at the first step is that federal agencies look at the existing laws and the existing authorities they have and see how this new thing might apply. Um, the first time we found that, we saw this in the US was back in 2013 when the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network talked about something called uh, virtual currencies and convertible virtual currencies and explained that certain participants that, that handle these are subject to the Bank, Bank Secrecy Act. Um, we've also seen the IRS provide guidance on how to do taxation of these assets. Even the SEC, as difficult as it is back in 2019, did put out a framework for um, analyzing digital assets, um, you know, with the Howey test. And so that is kind of the first, you know, action is agencies will look at existing rules and, and then apply them. What we've seen over the past couple of years is there's been analysis going on through this executive order process or through the president's working group where agencies have said, hey, there's some gaps in the laws and regulations. We probably need Congress to step in and fill those gaps. And, and there's two policies that 
that come to the top of that list. One is figuring out how to do regulation of dollar-backed stable coins. Um, yes, there's a lot of regulation that already exists. If you look at a you know, USDC issuer circle, they have money transmitter licenses, they're registered as a money services business. They're doing their best to use the existing regulation, but it's probably not exactly the best way to go about making sure that there is a dollar in a bank account for you know, every USDC coin in circulation. So I think that's probably the issue that could move the fastest in the new Congress next year. Um, the other issue out there that there seems to be consensus that we need to step in and, and do is, is a, a way to regulate the crypto commodity spot markets. Um, it's, it's pretty, pretty, there's pretty much consensus that Bitcoin is a commodity. Um, most think that Ether and most other cryptocurrencies that are listed on U.S. exchanges are also commodities. The only person who doesn't think that is Gary Gensler at the SEC, who you know thinks everything's a security because he wants to regulate them as securities. So, yeah. um, but we need to figure out a way to have probably a, a federal regulator for those spot markets, and as part of that. We could have, you know, attestations that, you know, they're, you know, properly custodying the crypto for their users and, and things of that nature. And so that's that's one that got an issue that did get a lot of attention this year. Um, the, and, and there are several bills that would have addressed this. One is the, the Lummis Gillibrand uh, Financial uh, yeah. Responsibility. Responsible Financial Innovation Act that that yes. had some some efforts. Uh, there's also the Digital Commodity Exchange Act in the House, which is probably my favorite proposal out there. Um, there was also this Digital Commodities Consumer Protection Act that would have um, regulated centralized exchanges. The problem with that bill is it also captured a bunch of other entities that we don't think um, were being appropriately regulated. So that that one I think needs a lot of work if it's going to move forward. But, um, but yeah, these are all issues that I think Congress can get done in, you know, 2023, 2024 timeframe. And the good news is they're bipartisan. Um, and the, the biggest issue and challenge I think we're going to have as an industry is making sure that they're focused on the actual problems and gaps and not expanded into things like DeFi um, or other parts of crypto where this type of regulation just doesn't make sense. Yeah, good, good, good. Well, Kristen, keep an eyes, ears and toes. Put those in as well and keep uh, all those uh, policy on top because I want you back here on Real Vision to comb through. You know, when I hear you say time can be your friend, that is almost something just I totally go past my, my head um, when I'm doing 40 hours of crypto coverage every uh, every week, right? And then when you mentioned the executive order, it just, I don't know, it just took me by a little bit surprised. And I'm like, oh my God, this is only this year. So you're right. Taking a step back, you're like, oh yeah, we have actually made some sort of movements. <laughs> I just can't believe that's still this year. All right. Um, yeah, so clarification to get more, um, you know, financial firms, to enter the space is very, very important um, in the following months and years to come. Um, uh, well, talking about the industry, I'm going to bring in Nico. Nico, there was a JP Morgan report that I was really interested in, actually. Uh, what do you have for me there? Yeah, so um, uh, the hardcore DeFi heads are not going to like this, but let's keep in mind this comes from traditional TradFi legacy uh, bank chase. Uh, JP Morgan thinks centralized exchanges are here to stay. That's one of the conclusions from a new report by the U.S. Investment Bank. 
its strategists point out that slower transaction speeds, pooling of assets, and order traceability features on decentralized exchanges are likely to limit institutional participation. The analysts also cited the absence of a limit order or stop loss feature on DEXs, their dependency on price oracles that source data from centralized exchanges, vulnerability to hacks and exploits, the need for over-collateralization, as well as systemic risks from automated liquidations as impediments to widespread adoption. Elaine, I know you've also been looking at, at the report. What else stood out to you? Yeah, so Nico, I went down uh, the crypto vortex hole yesterday and I tried looking for, for this report, number one. And then number two, um, I think I picked up that it was a global strategist um, that sort of put this thing together for JP Morgan. And basically some of the points that I picked up was that they said that existing regulatory initiatives are already underway, are likely to be brought forward because of this. And MICA, do you remember MICA, which is the crypto regulation over in Europe, and that's expected to receive final approval before year end and to come to effect in 2024. And also the report says, you know, our guess is the USA that they could initiate more sense of urgency, as Kristen mentioned before, uh, with the collapse of FTX. And then also new regulatory initiatives to focus on custody and protection of customer assets amen to that and then also um of course the forever conversation of the clarification of cryptocurrencies being classified as securities or commodities as we discussed just a, uh, a little while ago uh Kristen, i don't know if you've seen the report what do you make of it yeah no listen i think there are you know some points i agree with in the report i mean i think the fact that there's going to be further regulatory scrutiny and an interest in getting new policies enacted i i, I certainly agree with that. Um, you know, my assessment of whether institutions are going to want to use DeFi or not is, you know, I, I think back to when I first used the internet in, you know, the mid-90s, and I had to make sure no one needed to use the phone and plug in my modem, and, like, you had to dial up, and it was kind of slow, and you couldn't really do anything. Like, to me, DeFi is, is still early days, and there's a lot of really good features there, and if there are, you know, challenges that are preventing institutions from engaging with DeFi, I think those will be addressed over time. People will build new code. They will use faster blockchains. Like there will be ways to address those concerns. And I think ultimately, I think it will be something that institutions want to use. And so, um, you know, I think that, uh, um, you know, I, th I think there's a role for centralized exchanges. I think there's a role for decentralized exchange in DeFi. Um, I mean, you can't really convert U.S. dollars into Bitcoin using DeFi, right? Like you need to, you need to get in somehow. And so, I, I also think that there's going to be, you know, certain consumers that don't want to engage directly themselves, right? Like they, they're going to want a third party to help them out, and um, in many cases, have a custodian there to custody their crypto on their behalf. And so, you know, there's a lot of elements. Um, and a lot of different pieces I'm sort of mixing together here. But the point is, I think there's there's very much a role for both. But I think when we're looking at DeFi, it's important to remember how early, you know, this is in the process and how that these services are going to, you know, continue to be built out in a way that, um, um, you know, is, is going to be more and more useful as time goes by.
Um, Kristen, I'm not going to let you go because you have so much energy and thank God you do because the position that you're in to, tr <laughs> to translate between <laughs> policy makers and the crypto industry is a really tough gig uh, right now. So I don't want to be all doom and gloom about the space as we move forward together. So look, um, I want to, I've done a little bit of uh, research about you, obviously. I know you've dedicated a lot of your career to exciting new tech, you know, tech that is di being disruptive and I'm sure you're used to that. But um, I think I've read something that Filecoin Foundation that you something that I'm not sure that you're still part of or not. But you know, I want to ask you, what are some of the the projects that you're most excited about in the next upcoming months? Yeah, no, I think there are a lot of really cool things being built out there right now. Um, yes, uh, you're correct. I sit on the board of the Filecoin Foundation for the Decentralized Web, um, which is uh, you know a group a, a nonprofit that is looking to. Um, you know, promote um, decentralized web technology, including that with Filecoin. Um, I, I do think Filecoin is a, is a great project. It's been really interesting um, because I first became familiar with Filecoin um, back in, I think it was maybe 2018 before, you know, long before it launched. And, you know, this idea that we can rebuild some basic internet infrastructure that is only being done by, you know, basically large technopolies today, um, I think is is really powerful, and to see the amount of storage capacity that has come online in in uh, the two years since Filecoin's launch has been really interesting. So, so yeah, I'm super interested in that project. Um, I'm interested in some of the other ones, um, like Helium is one I'm actually like really just personally sort of interested in because I used to do a lot of work on telecom policy, and so you know it's it's sort of yeah, um, makes sense. You know, getting beyond the financial use cases and into some of the the infrastructure that will build a better internet. Yeah, I mean, I think it, uh, the Helium token was worth about two bucks. I don't think it was worth me uh, setting it up right now, but maybe I'll dig into <laughs> that. I've got one of these machines around the house somewhere. Um, okay, and uh, also, I I know we spoke a little bit on camera. You're in Miami, right? I am. I am. I split my time between DC and Miami. I got it. You got to you know, I got to get out of there every now and then. <laughs> well, Miami, that's, where it's all that's when it's all happening this week. I hope you're attending some fun stuff like Art Basel or something. Yeah, I know. There's a lot, a lot of people in town, a lot of great um, NFT focused events. And yeah, I'm really excited to connect with colleagues in the industry. Yes. Any excuse to edge the word NFTs into the show, I'll take it. All right. Time <laughs> for some viewer questions, Kristen. Not going to let you go before we actually, uh, you know, it's really important that Real Vision, we curate with the community for this show. So, ah, there you go. My producer just slipped this question in from PJ Way A. Hello, GM to you. And he is in the di uh, Discord uh, asking, how can people in their states in the US engage and empower themselves to discuss and educate local state representatives on the topic of blockchain, crypto, to prevent overreach from policymakers at both the state and federal levels? What a great question. Yeah, no, I think it is a great question. I think what a lot of people don't understand is most elected officials are more than happy to sit down and meet with their constituents. And so, you know, going online and figuring out who your congressman is and setting up a meeting either with their staff or with a member directly um, is a really good way to do it. And and you don't need to even understand the policies that are going on or the ideas that are out there. The, the primary purpose right now is really to just get them to understand what we're building. And so, you know, don't be afraid to ask for those types of things. Um, I would also say there's a couple organizations out there um, that are particularly good from 
um, for the individual side as they're trying to get into crypto policy. Um, I, by, by way of contrast, Blockchain Association, we represent 105 crypto companies. And so our position is a consensus of those 105 companies. But there's a couple other organizations that I'm a huge fan of. One is the DeFi Education Fund. Um, they have a wonderful newsletter that's free to subscribe to that will keep you updated with all of the information um, of what's coming out um, in Washington. And so that's a really good way to stay informed. Um, and I'm also a, a huge fan of the team at Coin Center. Um, they've been doing work for, I think, like eight or nine years now. They've been doing this before anyone. Um, and they have a lot of information about what's happening in Washington as well. Um, again, those two organizations are sort of looking at it from the technology side from an individual user side um, as opposed to the industry side but I would I would definitely follow those two organizations the DeFi Education Fund and Coin Center on Twitter um, and um, that's a great way to stay informed with with what's going on. Because uh, I actually have a great question as well from our platform. Ralph H on the RV website asks where does the industry stand on starting a self-regulatory organization akin to FINRA, otherwise known as the Financial Industry Regulation Authority? What are your thoughts there, Kristen? Yeah, so it's interesting. So a, a, a self-regulatory organization or SRO, it, it's actually like a, a very, very precise term. Um, in order to have an SRO, you essentially need Congress and a regulatory agency to designate an organization to be the SRO. So even though it has the word self in it, the industry can't just decide to create an SRO. We have to have Congress say, all right, we want this agency to become, you know, either the SEC or the CFTC to become the regulator of crypto. And then that agency designates an organization to become an SRO. So let's just say hypothetically that the SEC becomes the new regula regulator of crypto. The odds of them um, pointing that responsibility for the the day-to-day -day monitoring of that regulation to a new organization, I think is very low. They would probably expand FINRA's mandate. Um, similarly with the CFTC, they would probably look to the National Futures Association to do that kind of work. So um, I think what we do need to be doing though is doing a better job talking about the standards that the industry um, and the best practices that the industry are are working around, I think that's probably where the work is as opposed to like a quote unquote self-regulatory organization. Fascinating. Well, thank you for that, Kristen. Um, it's that time of the episode, some people's favorite, other people's uh, just the end, but it's time for my key takeaway. So let's get those horns a blaring and the spotlights swinging. So to me, obviously a very wide ranging conversation today, absolutely fascinating to sit in on, listen to, but the two main things uh, in my mind from listening to you, Christian, are education and patience. We gotta have the patience to educate these congressmen and not have them just go by the seat of their pants, start regulating with no real understanding of the space. We saw this with SBF and the fact that a lot of people sort of seem to be talking about it as it's DeFi when it's really just out and out fraud, it seems like. And then lastly, the other thing that I thought was a great point, we have to make the US more attractive to these type of companies so that they are based in headquarters out of here and able to exist under proper regulation. Christian, anything I missed from there or anything you'd like to add? No, no, I think, I think you got the key takeaways. The only other thing I would add um, is that I think that we can do this in DC. The, the industry, has a presence. I think there's a lot of work that has been done. There are a lot of people who have been 
hired, who are getting trained up to understand crypto, who are working on the process of educating policymakers. Like this is not a lost cause. It's certainly a setback and it means that we're going to have to spend a lot of time rebuilding trust. But I do think that the pathway is there to get back to the point where we can start having conversations about what good appropriate regulation should look like. And so, um, you know, I'm really excited for next year. I think that, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. Our mission is, is pretty clear, but, you know, it's, it's going to take some time, but I think we'll be able to recover from, from the FTX disaster that we've all been dealing with over the past couple of weeks. I, I love it. Cautious optimism. It's exactly where I'm at. I'm one of these people who is looking forward to this clarification, looking forward to more regulation so that this is the last of one of these major blowups we have to deal with. Um, well, with that said, thank you, Kristen and Elaine. It's been a pleasure doing the show with you both. And that's it for today's show. This episode of the Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by the Crypto App. The Crypto App is your app for all things crypto. Download the Crypto App today on Google Play, Google Play or the iOS App Store. Tomorrow, we've got Alex Reeve from Coinbase and Nick Johnson from ENS. You don't want to miss that. We'll see you then, noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.